What's up, Colin? How you doing, brother? Hey, how you doing? Hey, man. Happy to be talking with you. You got this new book out. It's called A Very Punchable Face, and congratulations, New York Times bestseller. That's got a nice ring to it. Oh, man, that's cool. Yeah, that was a great feeling. Um, I had no idea. It's such a strange time to release a book because you're just kind of in a vacuum and you hope people find it and check it out. So I was very, uh, very uh, relieved and happy about it. Yeah, and I, I read the title of this book comes from a bunch of times that you had to be tough coming up. So is that kind of how this came about as a comedian? You got to take a punch. I know you had to travel a lot through the city of New York as a young kid. Can you tell us where you came up with the title of the book? Yeah, um, <laughs> like a lot of people, a lot of friends now um, have told me, like once I got on TV, a lot of friends told me that I have a very punchable face, um, which is nice to hear from your friends. Uh, and they, you know, I think, you know, part of it's just perception. You know, if people see me and don't know anything about me, um, sometimes people uh, think I'm like a kind of um, <laughs> like a rich jerk or something. <laughs> Whereas if you read the book and see where I came from and what happened and uh, in my life, I think you'd have a, a, a different opinion. I hope, um, and so I, that's that's how, sort of where where that comes from. And also, there's a lot of stories in the book where I get um, either punched or like physically uh, injured or um, have a bunch of stitches and all the stuff that happens to me. Uh, and I think it was kind of I thought it may be a good theme. It became a theme throughout the book that uh, I was getting often making maybe bad decisions that got me injured. Oh, well, he's a good man. He's the head writer at SNL Weekend Update. He's been doing it for some time, 15 years now, on that big show on uh, Saturday night. And it all kind of started out, you're a bright kid. You went to the Regis High School, which is very hard to get into on the Upper East Side. And you had to travel an hour and a half to school and an hour and a half home from school this seems very dangerous, especially uh, in the Big Apple. Like, were you at all at the time? Did you know how much danger you were in at the time? Um, sometimes, uh, you know, you, I, you know, I took, I went. It was like, a, so I was coming from Staten Island, so there was a bus and then a ferry and then the subway, and you know, the the thing is, often you were doing stuff after school, so you'd be coming home late at night, like in the dark, and when you're fourteen. <laughs> It's just a, you know, and you're a lot of times at that time you were alone, like there weren't other kids traveling at that time. That was where it got scarier sometimes, and, you know, you saw some weird stuff, and it's it's just a, you know, but you, you get better at being aware of your surroundings, you know. You get better at walking in the middle of the street at night so you can see both sides of the right. You know, you start thinking about how are people going to attack you all the time, um, and you have, you know, robber money that you can give someone and you don't wear a backpack on two shoulders so they can't control your torso. All these weird thoughts are through your head that I still have all the time, but I think they're good like self-preservation techniques, you know? Yeah, it made you tough. Made you have that punchable face that you got, that good jawline made, made you a man. A lifelong, <laughs> That's right. You're a lifelong New Yorker, and I keep talking to more and more of my New York friends. I live in Florida, and uh, with everything that's gone on with COVID and everything getting shut down, are you getting the sense that New Yorkers are wanting to leave New York? You know, I think they, they do right now um, just because they're scared. You know, people are scared about this, also, whether this the COVID is going to come back in the fall, and then things are going to get really bad. You know, um, if people, if no one has jobs, and there's and people are getting sick again, 
So I think people are, are scared of that. But I think in the long run, New York is just, there's so much energy there. There's so much opportunity there. And I think once it starts coming back, there'll almost be a race to get back because people will be like, you know, they, they'll, they'll want to be part of the comeback story of New York. So I do think people are going to are going to come back. We're talking with Colin Jost. He's got a brand new memoir out called It's a Very Punchable Face, available everywhere. You read your book, uh, talking about how smart you were after high school. You go on to Harvard. Uh, what was the biggest thing uh, that you learned going to school in Cambridge? Like, what did it teach you? Because not all of us get that Ivy League education. If there was the one thing that you learned being on that campus, what was it? You know, I think the biggest thing I learned, weirdly, about going to a really good college is that a lot of people's lives and their careers after college have nothing to do with school. You know, they have nothing to do with academics. So you might be, you might have been the best student at Harvard, but you suddenly graduate, and unless you're going to be in academics, no one really cares anymore. You know, like most jobs, what your grade point average was doesn't actually matter. And I'm certainly in one of those fields. And, you know, I think what I learned was a lot of kids there, they might have been, they might have been a good student, but they also were a great, you know, whatever cello player, or they were a great, like, uh, Olympic rower or whatever, and that became their life. And what they did at school was kind of an afterthought. And I, I realized, oh, yeah, life isn't really about academics. Like, school is about academics. But then after that, you start to figure out what you want to do. And so there were all these kids who were super smart and really accomplished students. And then they graduated, and I saw they didn't know what to do with their lives either. You know, um, certain people had opportunities, but they didn't even necessarily know if that's what they wanted. Or, you know, all these people face this crisis of what are they going to do with their lives. And you see some people who didn't even graduate from Harvard who were the most successful people, like Bill Gates and Matt Damon, who, like, found what they want to do and started doing it even before they graduated. So what you're telling me is spending all that money and going to Harvard, you know, it's uh, it's really not all worth the money. Is that what you're saying? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if they're going to put that in the welcome video, but I think sometimes <laughs> yeah. that's true. Yeah. And when you were there at uh, Harvard, uh, Mark Zuckerberg was attending, and I, I'm reading that you were one of the very first people on Facebook. At, at the time, did you think much of it? Was there like a buzz on campus? Because now this Facebook has, has taken over the world, it seems like. There was definitely a buzz on campus, because, but it was, it's so weird because it started as just a yearbook within our school. So it was just, it was like someone took their school yearbook and put it online. So everyone at the school started joining it, but, you know, I never thought anyone outside of there would care, you know. And there were different things at the time, like there were other, you know, other colleges were doing stuff like that. And so I didn't think this was going to be, become like this whole other thing. And even then I thought it was a huge waste of time, which I stand by, but I was wrong that it was not going to become a whatever $100 billion company, whatever it is now. I kind of blew it on that front. We're right now talking to the brilliant mind that's behind some of the dumbest sketches you'll see on TV, Colin Jost. Uh, do you remember the first sketch that you wrote that made it to air on SNL? Yeah, my, so my first show uh, as a writer was Steve Carell was the host and Kanye was the musical guest. And, nice. Um, which is a pretty great first show. And the first sketch I ever had on was that was that show 
there was, I don't know if you remember, there was like a JetBlue flight that week in the news that had like a landing gear problem, and they had to do an emergency landing. And it was when televisions were first on planes. This is how sadly how long ago it was. And people on the plane were watching news coverage of their own like plane emergency landing while they were on the plane. And so it was Steve Carell and Amy Poehler as a couple watching. Yeah, like, uh, you know, Steve Carell was watching this crash footage, basically of their own plane, and freaking out. And Amy Poehler was watching Minions and just having a great time, and completely unaware of what was happening. And they, you know, luckily the flight landed and everyone was okay, um, which is what let us do it instead of it being like a horrible plane crash. But they were, everyone was safe. But it was this strange moment in time where it was the first time people could could watch their own their own plane. Weird. That's a that's a great accomplishment, you know. Just uh, getting on the writing staff and then to have uh, one of your sketches uh, make it to live TV that had to be be a big night, big celebration for our guest here, Colin Jost. What about the the sketch that stands out to you the most? Like if you were to be putting together that reel, uh, what would be the one that would be right at the top? Oh man, uh, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough question. Um, I wrote this character with, uh, for Bobby Moynihan that was called Drunk Uncle that was on. We can okay. update a bunch. Um, that was one I always really loved, and it was like a, you know, he's just such a great performer, and I really loved writing for that character, and I feel like that that was like, a, you know, that 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 a lot of people liked it. It was cool. Um, that was fun to do. And um, Cecily had a character that was called the girl at a party you wish you hadn't started a conversation with, and that was a, you know, the writing for an update character like that is there's such pure you know, character pieces that it's fun to, it's fun to get into that. Speaking of characters, President Trump, I know, hosted SNL, I think back in 2015 when he was just a candidate. Uh, what did you take from that time working with the Don? Because you had to write some of his jokes. How, how did that go? Did you get a sense at the time, hey, this could be number 45 I'm working with here? Uh, I did not get that sense <laughs> yeah. at the time. Um, I have a, whole, a chapter in the book about it because it was really like the most surreal week it was already so surreal when it happened, and then it only got weirder as he got the nomination and then became president. It was just, first of all, the weirdest thing was that he was there all the time. Like, he was running for president, but he was physically at our show the whole week. Um, and there was this great moment that he also took, <laughs> in the middle of our read-through, like when we're reading all the scripts, he took a, a phone call in the middle and started loudly going, what's that? My book's a bestseller? Wow, what a great news. Like almost a fake conversation about how his book, and we're all like, hey man, we, you don't need to impress us. We're, we're good. But he would, it would be like this strange fake like call where he can brag about his book being a bestseller. It was very weird. And it was lots of stuff like that where he's just, he knows how to, um, what kinds of things he does to impress people. And whatever the group is, he does that same kind of thing. And you know, my I had a, for several ideas for him that he was not into. Um, like one was um, Rosetta Stone Mexican. Um, <laughs> that would have been great. It, it would teach you phrases that you could say to someone who is Mexican, like "You're going to build the wall," <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, which he did not uh, really love that idea. Um, and then we had this idea. I wrote these characters with Vanessa and Cecily, where they were former porn stars who were selling different products, and we pitched him an idea where they would be former porn stars who were endorsing Donald Trump for president, and it made it on the show, which, when you look back, is such a surreal thing. You're like, whoa, that 
that like became the storyline with Stormy Daniels and all that stuff. And you're like, oh, wow. And, and also that Trump was like, yeah, let's do that one. It's such a strange, <laughs> what a weird moment in time. Yeah, so, you it, were seeing the future. Things like that. You were seeing into the yeah, future at the time. So, uh, Colin, what about, has there ever been a sitting president ever be on SNL? I mean, I know there's been candidates, but uh, have you guys ever had an actual prez come from the White House and, and yeah. be on SNL? Uh, yeah, well, uh, Obama came on when he was president, I think. Oh, uh, maybe not. Maybe it was still when he was a candidate. God, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think if there's been a sitting president. Well, I know back in the day, I was, you know, I wasn't alive, but uh, Gerald Ford did something on the show. Um, I think they even went to the White House and filmed it with him. Um, but I don't know if there's been someone since that's been a sitting president. I don't know. Why, are you pitching someone now, perhaps? I mean, maybe maybe we could maybe we could write something for uh, for Trump. I think it would be uh, maybe help him out. I hear he's uh, struggling in the polls slightly, so uh, maybe coming on SNL m- might help the cause. Uh, we're talking <laughs> with Colin Jost right now, head writer at SNL, doing Weekend Update. He's got a brand new book out that's a, a bestseller. If you're looking for something to read that really is inspiring and funny, and heartwarming. It's a very punchable face, uh, which he's got a nice, handsome face. You see him reading a Weekend Update. I'm uh, curious to talk about the hardest chapter to write in the book. Which one was the toughest to just get it done? Uh, you know, there were there were two that were really hard. You know, one was my mom was in the fire. You know, my whole family, my mom's family was all in the fire department in New York, and uh, I'm mostly on Staten Island, and my mom ran the medical office for the firefighters. Her last name was Kelly. Um, so she ran the, the medical office for like 40 years. And so the hardest chapter was writing about September 11th because my mom responded on that day and was trapped under the buildings when they both came down. And, you know, obviously she was among all her colleagues at the fire department, many of whom died. And that was the hardest chapter definitely to write because I wanted to get it right and honor everyone in it properly so emotionally that was that was the hardest chapter um and then you know some of the some of the things uh, you know snl wise i wanted to also capture what the real spirit of the show was and the real vibe you know that people have behind the scenes there and 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 again like do everyone justice you know that, that's the hardest thing when you're writing a book you want to you want to be honest, and you want to be accurate, and you want to be, you know, give people the real, the real deal about how things work. You know. Yeah, I felt like he really captured it in this uh, this new book. A very punchable face. Uh, make sure you pick it up. Uh, I'm very proud of you uh, with your latest work. Congratulations on the engagement with the wonderful and talented Scarlett Johansson. Congrats on that. Oh, thank you very much. Um, it's very it's very exciting. It's uh, again. A strange time to not be able to, uh, you know, have a wedding or plan plan it, but we're very excited. Yeah, so I'm curious, uh, like music-wise, when it comes time to put something on, maybe on your Pandora or your Spotify, uh, who is your go-to artist? If you're going to just, you know, type in a name of a band or an artist and you want to, you know, try to maybe get a little intimate with the missus, uh, what's usually on Colin Jose's playlist? <laughs> I'm curious. Um... I'm not a real um, romance music guy, um, but I'm trying to think of. I, I, I might kind of like separating the two and just listening to music outside. Well, we're thinking that. maybe about how about the first dance song? Do you have an idea of what the first dance song will be at the wedding? Uh, 
we, you know, we're in negotiations. We're in, we're in, um, <laughs> confidential. Is, is there, is there, okay, it's confidential. You can't tell us like yeah, front runners or anything? You have, but I, I welcome any suggestions. Do you have any, uh, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Marvin Gaye, let's get it on, comes to mind. That's a smooth groove. <laughs> Um, that's such a funny song to play at, a, like at, at your wedding. It's maybe when you're game. taking the garter off, that would be a good one. Um, <laughs> yeah, the garter removal song. Yeah, let's get it on. I don't know. You know, Ed, Ed Sheeran has a really popular one, you know, about loving you till you're 70. That's a cute one. Maybe pick that one. Have you have you thought about that? Have you guys started a better vibe? Have Have you started planning the wedding at all? Uh, I mean, again, it's kind of a it's a, it's a complicated situation right now because you know you know you can't really where you're going to go to have uh, that many people together. You know, yeah. So it's kind of planning. Planning. Planning is like you're planning around this the whole disease and everything too. It's kind of hard. Well, our guest went to Harvard. He's head writer on SNL. He's hosted the Emmys. He's married the hot. He's getting married to the hot Hollywood actress. What else is on the to do list? You've wrote a New York Times bestseller. What else could you accomplish at this point, Colin Jost? What What is next for you? I think I'm just going to um, tie stones to my feet and just walk <laughs> into the ocean. I think it's, at this think point, <laughs> might as well. There you go. So uh, you'll be down there with the Titanic, and we'll go down and, and visit you <laughs> at, at times. Colin, thank thank you so much for your time. That's a good euphemism. I appreciate you. Um, yeah, I, I, I've got a, a bunch of stuff I'm working on that I'm very excited about, and you know, I. I I really like performing, and that's what I miss the most of being, you know, holed up for a long time. I really, I miss being able to create things, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, I have a couple movies coming out this year, and I'm hoping that uh, we can keep making some, and um, that'll be the next chapter. Finally, has there been a memo or anything come out from Lauren saying when you guys are going to be able to get back together? Is there a timeline out when we can get the whole staff together and, and put on a show? Yeah, we're gonna we'll be back. We'll be back uh, in sort of late September, early October, um, for our first show back, and we're gonna go be in the studio and uh, and figure it out. We'll see we'll see what we can do, but that's the plan, which uh, I'm very excited to do. All right, man. Congrats on the book, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, Colin. Thanks for your time, brother. All right.